Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This is DSC's Untamed Heritage. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club. Conservation, education, protecting hunters' rights. Ruger. Rugged, reliable firearms. Hardity. Accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon. Brilliant aiming solutions. Burnham Brothers Calls. Calling us calls made. Texas Wildlife Association. Working for tomorrow's wildlife today. Texas raised hunting products. The Scent Gods. www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com. The Hunter Conservation Website. Sitting around the table this afternoon with Craig Archer with Hargrove Ranches and Steve and Gary Robertson with... Uh, Burnham Brothers Game Calls and Eddie Stevenson with, among other things, with uh, TrenchCon. And we're out here in the western part of the state trying to get ready to go do some coyote calling. Uh, you've got a new call that we've talked about in the past at our, with our podcast. Gary, tell me a little bit about it, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the other things. Well, uh, we've, we've tried to use this call the last yesterday evening, and we're going to use it this morning, and uh, I have this. This call is pretty smart. Can do most anything. Can hit ultrasonic frequencies and all that. But it, so far, it has not made the wind <laughs> stop blowing. And that's a function we need to program into it, I guess, because we went out last week and had the same problem. The wind was just killing us. But uh, we're. This is, I guess, the final prototype that we'll have. I'm going to make a couple little tweaks to it, some changes, and and then we're going to put it into production. My guys tell me from the time we give them the okay on final okay on this last prototype that it'll be about sixty to seventy days before we have them. So, believe me, we're we're ready to get some money coming back our way instead of sending it all to these engineers and software guys. So, exactly, we're trying to get some return on an investment here in short order. I, I know you've been calling coyotes and. Bobcats and predators forever, but what prompted you to, to take it to this level? Why, what what was there to, to go, man, there's got to be something more that we can do here? Or, 
you know, what do I do next? I mean, what prompted you to, to want to come up with this new call? Well, this is actually something I've wanted to do for over 20 years, but we did not have the technology. Ah, yes. Uh, it was about three years ago that I found ultrasonic speakers, and until that time, uh, I was lucky enough to stumble on them right after they were introduced. And when I found those, you know, speakers that could actually go to ultrasonic levels, that's where I knew we needed to go with a call. We didn't need to build just another electronic game call because right, there's, right. there's some great ones out there. But for over 20 years, I've known, I've watched coyotes like big open country that I knew were communicating with each other, yet I could hear no sound. You know, I would watch them hunting, you know, say, about big open country. Yeah, on the T4, the Bell Ranch, whatever, and they'd be hunting side by side, going down a drawer or whatever, and I could tell one of them got the other one's attention. He'd stop and raise his head up, and then Joe across the draw, you know, I could tell he said, I could hear something. Well, there was no sound that I could hear, and, and they weren't that far away. Well, they'd, you know, they'd communicate like dogs do, twisting their head back and forth, and I could tell they were, you know, both of them doing that. I said, these animals are communicating, you know, but I can't hear anything. So... You know, about it, then they'd go back, they'd change their hunting course. You know, they communicate and say, okay, let's, let's pull off this draw and let's go hunt back into the wind or whatever. And the way they'd go. Then I was on a, a field there at Dilly on the old Wright Ranch one evening, had a bobcat kitten come out in the edge of the field and sat down. And he just sat there for a couple of minutes and I'm watching him. There was no sound at all. And all of a sudden, this kitten breaks running across the caddy corner in that field. When it gets about halfway into the field, I hear its mother, I guess, or brother, catch a fawn right in the direction that cat's running. I was like, this was dead calm. There's no sound here. How did that cat know that the other one was going to catch something? They had to be communicating at at a frequency we can't hear. Then I got to reading up on ultrasonics, and of course, the human ear can hear it about 20,000. Coyotes can hear it at 45,000. Yeah, actually, we were talking about that the other day, Larry. You know, when you're young, they say the human ear can hear up to 22,000. So I'm thinking, I may be at 15, thinking, okay, I'm pretty good. My software guy said, no. He said, you'll be lucky if you can hear the 10,000 frequency. At my age, as many guns as we've shot. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I mean, you were were hitting with where this goes to. And I'm sorry, I just got thinking about it. I mean, I know I hear as well as I used to. You're right, and there's certain pitches, you know, a lot of times, I think, especially females, you know, they speak at higher pitches. And my wife thinks I'm ignoring her, but yet it's to some degree. I'm not going to say I am because I'm not, but uh, <laughs> he's lying, Miss <Mr>. Dan. <laughs> but that higher pitch frequency is more difficult for us to hear. Right. And uh, anyways, but coyotes, I got to read, and they can hear to, or canines to forty-five thousand, and felines up to like sixty-four thousand. Good gosh! So they hear three times the sound that we are, or more. And of course. What was the most difficult thing, you know, in building this product was building the software for it. Right. You know, because all the sound components were built simply to appease the human ear. Yeah. They weren't built to handle as much information as they have to 
you know, the processing three times information that everything else before them did. So those components were blowing up. It was burning them out. So that's that was the big challenge. And I never really thought about that part of it. I thought, right. oh, we got ultrasonic speakers. If we can get ultrasonic recordings, we can play this. Yeah. No, we couldn't. No, we couldn't. <laughs> it all so, seems so easy. Yeah. You know, so that's what's taken us so long. We've right. been working on this for over three years. But like I say, it was the direction I knew we needed to go. Right. We didn't need just another electronic caller on the market. We wanted to build something that's truly revolutionary. Well, we've talked about, I mean, it, all of us riding around this morning, really more looking at mule deer, looking at places that we want to set up should the wind quit, and I think it will as the afternoon progresses. But, I mean, a lot of these places, uh, I've, I've been up north a time or two, and a lot of these places have been called to a lot, you know, and I mean, so this was, should make quite a bit of difference, shouldn't it? It makes a lot of difference, and. You know, when we play all of the electronic callers that are on the market today, they peak out at about seventeen to 18,000 right. hertz. And then when we play a rabbit recording, well, the first baby cottontail we recorded went over 90,000. The only way to really see what a sound is doing, to see a basically a photograph of it, is to put it on an oscilloscope. Yeah, where you can see the see line. See the, the move, frequencies, move the line, yeah, where yeah. they peak. Right. Well, when we find out that, you know, we're only able to hit like 17, 18,000 with the electronic callers out there today. And we find that the true recording of that, say, rabbit is going to, say, 50,000. That rabbit recording we're playing on that old caller is an artificial sound. For the first time ever, we're going to be able to play the true animal recording to that predator. That's really interesting. Right For the first time, that's why yeah. the first time we go into a place with the, the electronics we have today, you know, it can work really well the first time you're in there. But that, especially a coyote, educates so quick. The second time you go in there, your success rate is greatly reduced. About the third time you go in there, you might as well be chunking rocks at it. They're not coming, <laughs> not a coyote. Even He's already heard it. These new recorded sounds, do you think it's going to be? You'll still be able to train the coyotes. The you bet you will. Uh, I was visiting with an old buddy, uh, Ernie Curran, out in New Mexico about this. And, uh, of course, Ernie just can't wait till we get this product because he, he knows this is where we needed to be right. for the last you know years like I have. But I said, you know, Ernie, we're going we're gonna to build a collar that's really going to produce the true sound. But as smart as that coyote is, we'll educate him where he won't come to anything sound-wise. Because, because they're, yeah, you know, if you go in there and just keep pounding, pounding him, even though you're generating the exact animal sound, you will educate them where they won't come to it. Which kind of goes a, back to what we were talking about this morning when we were riding around. I mean, it's really windy where we're not going to, and your your thoughts were, man, these are fantastic spots we're looking at to call, but if we do, we're not going to be able to see them or they're, we're, all we're going to do is educate them. We'll educate more in this kind of wind. Yeah. yeah. So I'd rather wait till the conditions are right. Like I say, I think any successful, especially coyote hunter, is the key ingredient is you have to respect the game. You want everything in your favor when you sit down. If you give up anything, whether it's wind or sun or 
with an improper setup, he's going to beat you, and he's going to beat you nearly every time. Well, you so, mentioned yesterday afternoon. We got here yesterday afternoon and went out for just a little bit, and we did get beaten. We got beat. We got we got beaten, but it was mainly because of, of it wasn't for Steve seeing one of them. <laughs> I saw after we quit calling, he's out there looking around the ground. I thought, well, did he lose the collar? Because I noticed it was a camouflage, you know, housing. I thought, well, he lose the collar. And then I realized when I walked up there that you had seen a cow, but the vegetation was just so tall that yep. you could just see a little of it. Yeah, and just saw the flash at the top of his back, and it was so quick. I had to go out there and look for tracks just to make sure I wasn't seeing things. It was <laughs> one of those deals. You don't get those kind of coyotes killed, and all you see is that. Yeah, no, you know, no, uh, no. I've always been real big on on mouth blown calls, simply because I could stick them in my pocket, whether I'm whitetail hunting, mule deer hunting. I've carried one of those Burnham Brothers long range, oh yeah, jackrabbit calls primarily all over the darn world called up all kinds of things. You, you mentioned one time, I think in one of our last podcasts, that actually you can get to a higher pitch with a mouth-blown call. And that's reading sometimes when guys have been using their electronic calls, they go out with a mouth-blown call and guess what happens? Then they have success. Yeah. You know, you know we do, Larry. We go to the, just like here, we go to the same ranches you know, year in and year right. out, number one, they want us in there, you know, calling coyotes to reduce the predator population. But what I have found is, say we're going, uh, say we're, if I hit this ranch this year and next year, if I come back the third year with the old electronics, even though I may be just calling it for one trip, I guarantee you there'll be survivors, especially those old females, that'll make calling here tougher next year. Next year. I see that on like a hunter ranch there below Pearsall. I've hunted right. it for 20 years. Yeah. And I have abandoned using electronics there. I'll go down there every year one time for like three or four days. And I quit using electronics, and I went back to my hand calls, and I stopped starting. It, it started works again. Yeah. But we're hitting those ultrasonic frequencies. Yes. Especially with that mini blaster call yeah. that I like to use a right. lot. It goes to about 40,000 hertz. Well, that's pretty convincing to that guy. Yeah. And now we're, like I say, our success rate is back up over, you know, probably three-quarters of the time we sit down, we're going to call something up. Well, and before, we weren't getting anything up. Just out of curiosity, on the success rate, like our country up here, we're not going to have near as many cottontails as we are. We've got more jackrabbits. Are you going to do a specific call to try to mimic what, right. in, in, what they're actually going to eat in this area? Sure. We'll, uh, right now, that, in fact, I was talking to a buddy yesterday, two days ago, that's one of the sounds I have not recorded on my ultrasonics yet is the jackrabbit. I've got cottontail stuff, but I haven't gotten the jack. And I, I said, we, we've got to get that recorded because that was always one of my favorite sounds was yeah. that half-grown jackrabbit. And, uh, well, in so, this country, whenever you do call, you have a tendency to have twice as much luck whenever you do use a jackrabbit sound mm-hmm. right, compared to a cottontail or a... The old woodpecker sounds, or whatever, whatever it might be that you might have in your hands. And then I have a recording of me blowing a call, mimicking the jackrabbit. But still, I'd rather have. You know, part of the reason for using electronics was we always thought was to you get a an true animal recording. Right. Well, we thought we were for fifty years, but we weren't. 
you know, we recorded an animal, but we weren't getting those frequencies. Not the sound that that animal actually made. Not yeah. the sound that or actually made. Or to the pitch made. that he made those kind. Yep. So, it's it's been a lot of fun messing with this, and uh, it's been real exciting messing with these ultrasonic oh, stuff. I, um, yeah. I mean, but I'm ready to get it out there, you know, <laughs> so that we can prove up what it exactly. does. Exactly. Exactly, and I, and of course, you know, I, I wish the wind had lay so we could test it today. Well, we had you know two different cows come in yesterday and and uh, at different places, and but just we're in a situation here where where we're hunting on on the Hargrove ranches, the part that we we're on. There's shin oak, and if people who don't understand shin oak, it is solid oak up to about a little bit taller than your shins, and that coyote is just a little bit shorter yeah. in most instances than what. Is like you're saying, just just being able to see his back. But uh, we got to, if the wind will stop, we'll, then we'll try to hopefully do another one of these right after this wind stops to talk sure. about some of the successes that we had with it. Uh, Eddie, you've, you've you've been involved with all kinds of different companies over the years in terms of doing uh, writer hunts, particularly in, in media type hunts. But you like that coyotes too, don't you? Oh, I do. I do. Anything that I can call or interact with, whether it's turkeys or coyote or elk, or I just think that adds a whole other degree of the hunt. And like with what Gary does, um, even with a mouth call, you get a little more satisfaction because you're actually doing something. That to me has yeah. always been a big part of that. And that's why I love to turkey hunt so much right. because I feel like I'm actually doing something myself. And um uh, but um, yeah, absolutely love love the predator hunt as well. You know, we're we're fortunate is are cursed <laughs> with the abundance of coyotes, and the, I don't know about you guys, but the last year or so, last two years, I've seen a tremendous increase in bobcats in a lot of different areas. I mean, there's one little ranch out there just outside Atlanta that I'm familiar with. It's about. 2,000 acres, and they've probably taken, I think the last count I got was like 56 bobcats off that 2,000 acres in the last 18 months. And I mean, you're seeing as many bobcat tracks now as what you did before they started working on them. Mm -hmm. And and also, when you're a predator hunter, like we're up here with Hoggrove Hunts, and they have an intensive as you well know, intensive wildlife management program going, their deer program in particular, and with all the bobcats and hogs and coyotes, I mean, and, you know, helping their fawn recruitment and just the overall survivability of their animals that they have here. They're exactly. pretty serious about getting these numbers down. They are, and I mean, that's, that was the curse part that I was kind of looking over at, uh, at Craig about. I mean, you guys have got a lot of cows, a lot of bobcats in this country. I mean, when I was here on the deer hunts, I remember shooting a hog and coming back and we had bobcats on that hog in the following day. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, unfortunately, where a lot of these ranches have gone from raising sheep and goats and those ranchers back in the day ran snare lines, ran steel trap lines, cyanide. Really I mean, it, it was, it was yeah. a controlled area. So nowadays, most of these ran, or a lot of ranches have turned into strictly hunting ranches. Well, the hunters don't, they're concentrating on the deer herds. They're not concentrating on the predator control anymore, but where we're at up here, because of the hogs, because of the bobcats, because of the coyotes, we see a decrease in our fawn crop as far as as every mm-hmm. year goes. So I think everybody, every hunter, every every 
everybody that's out there should also hey start incorporating predator control back into this thing because well I told y'all yesterday about the full grown cow with half of her tail bitten off yeah you know you don't there's a, there's a coyote problem if you find that stuff yeah yeah and every year I have calves show up when we go to work in the spring that their their tail will be bitten off all the way up oh, to yeah. the backbone I mean so you know it, it it's a problem mm-hmm. and. And I think it's something that everybody should be addressing. Well, you're right. It, it is, a, and it's predator control. I mean, even if we tried to just totally wipe out coyotes and bobcats out of any of this country, it ain't gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. I mean, either. just like what you're talking about. So, no matter what, even with poison, if you did it that way, you would not. You might control a few, but they adapt so quickly. And, and coyotes seem like too. You know, they they have a way and means of of increasing survivorship of, or, of their, their survival, rather, of their, their pups in certain situations as well, too. So, But it is. Predator control is a very important thing to do. And, uh, you know, particularly to me when you're running into situations where with severe droughts that we have a tendency to have at times here to, you know, to just we got to keep a number of animals out here to make sure that we got brood stock to, to carry into the, the following year. Not just for hunting, but just for the perpetuation of those particular species. So, but the, to me, the winter time is is a great time as we're hunting right now here in Texas. But between now and about the time those deer or, or antelope or whatever we're doing will start dropping fawn, that to me is a really important time right. to really get after that. Uh, we're, we hunted yesterday afternoon. Gary, you, you and I have had some discussions in the past a little bit, and, and I'll let you other guys jump in here as well, too. Uh, what's the best time of the day to go call a coyote or a bobcat? Is, or is there a best time of the day or night? Well, I think you have some advantages on cats after dark because, you know, let's face it, they, they are more active probably after dark. And, and to me, actually, they're more visible, you know, uh, if you're going to use a spotlight, you, even through that shinery, you're going to pick up eyes. Yeah. You know, where if in the daylight, that cat's going to, he'll sneak right into the to call, get right in there, and you won't see him a lot of times in the daylight. We saw it last Saturday. They just sit there, and I'll see where just the eyes and the ears poking across something, you know. We're calling last Saturday, and it's bright sunlight right, right at lunchtime. And we, in fact, we waited for the wind to lay, and it finally laid at noon. We get out there. And the first call we make, a bobcat comes in, and my buddy Mike Connors telling me there's a bobcat out there. I never see the cat. Steve finally sees a cat walking off. I never see him walk off either. Uh, but he comes in, and the broomweed was just so tall you could catch him every now and then, or they could. I couldn't see him. And then the next call we make after that, I didn't see anything come to the call, walk out to pick the, the call. Well, actually, when I stood up, there's a bobcat within five feet of the call. You know, when I'd put the call just outside the broomweed, well, he was just inside, just the, inside broomweed, the broomweed. And he jumps up and lopes off. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there, there's advantages, I think, to calling cats after dark. You after know. dark. What about coyotes? I mean, well, you, you can call them up after dark as well. I like to call the coyote in the daylight because uh, I feel like I can use him a little bit better. I can get a better shot so much, so many times, you know, there'll be something in the way. And, you know, if a cat, if, I love calling cats, but if a cat gets away from me, in fact, sometime I'll play with them and, you know, just see what they will do. Right. Uh, and I've let them walk off many yeah. times, you know, a young one, but I don't, 
It bothers me when a coyote gets away from me <laughs> because I, I know. I knew that, and I could tell that yesterday. <laughs> I know <laughs> that if I get him up and I don't get him killed, I may have trouble getting that one back. Yeah. And in daylight, you can read his actions. Yeah, I can see. And and look at the terrain and where he might be headed to yeah, or where I need to shoot right now or whether if I can And wait if I can see that coyote, it's kind of like when you're calling turkey. If you've got a visual on him, it kind of tells you what you want to do to him or if you want to call to him or not call to him or whatever. But in, at night, sometimes I lose a lot. of You know, there's so much other stuff going on, working lights and all that. Uh, I don't get to see all that. And besides, you know, we're shooting most all the hunts we do are for TV. And I think, let's face it, the daytime video is, you know, people like that much better. It looks better on TV. They do. Eddie, I mean, you've been out with a lot of different writers. You do a lot of hunting yourself. Do you pay any attention to the activity charts that are out there as to when prime and secondary feeding time should be? Or do you, do you, does that play into any of your hunting strategy? It, it does, but I'll be honest with you, it's secondary to just making time to get out in the first place to, right. to go hunting. Uh, with my fishing, I do it pretty religiously. Like, I pay a lot of attention to the moon and the moon phases, and it does matter, absolutely, fishing. So there's no reason it shouldn't matter when you're hunting as well. Yeah. But, um, but I do check the moon phases, and as we all know, full moons have a huge impact on animal movement and and sometimes it means that you know high noon things can get pretty pretty good and uh, mm-hmm. the same for the, in the fishing world um, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in especially full moon time periods mm-hmm. to be out there from noon to two and, Amen. and the fish are going to bite and i think animals do the same thing i know with white-tailed deer it does that way craig do you pay attention to those when y'all are hunting out here or when you have an opportunity to hunt yourself um it's very seldom but I get to, to do it exactly. myself anymore. Yeah. So you just so, got to take advantage of whatever time frame yeah, you, you're in. You, you make whatever you got, you take advantage right. of it, and you do the best with what you got. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, full moon, I do try to pay attention to that. If if someone calls and wants to book a hunt, I, you know, I, I do look at the moon base and say, you know, you're either leading up to a full moon, you're in it, or you're coming off of it. Because it seems like to me the first few days right before a full moon or the right few days afterwards, you have a whole lot of effect as well as during the full moon. And so I try to make sure that we, the people understand what they're, yeah, what they're looking for yeah. during those time periods. To me, whether you can prove it scientifically or not, my personal experiences are is when there's no moon at night or there's a full moon at night, almost all night long, midday is going to be better. And it, it it, it always, I've shot some of my best deer that I've shot between like 10 o'clock in the morning till about 2 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, depending on where I am during that midday period. And to me, if, if somebody's going to come hunt during a, a, a full moon period or no moon period, you, you know, to me, you got to kind of preface that and say, guys, I mean, you realize you're going to hunt all day. That's correct. Yeah. Or are you going to hunt in the morning? We'll pick you up like you do here. You have a quick breakfast and we're going to take you back out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or sleep in and or go out at, in, go out at mean, midday and uh, stay till dark. At exactly. I mean, in our deal, we got to really push, you know, if you've got a, people coming in for a four day hunt, you need you to take maximize advantage. every hour yeah. that yes. you possibly can. And then put your meals in wherever you can to yeah. keep the hunter out there. Because or send success, meals with them in some yeah, cases. Or success rate makes your business. Yeah, I sure. Mean, that's just all there is to it, it. You're exactly right. Gary, what about predators? I know you and I have talked about this. How do you feel about I think those pred- activity chart type things? I think that predators are close to bass. You know, well, yeah, you think about a bass, bass is a predator, predator too. So a bass I mean, is a predator. He's just yeah. in the water. 
And, you know, let's face it, you have these mule deer right here in the yard. They're programmed to whenever you walk out there and throw feed. Then a lot of these whitetails are programmed wherever that feeder goes off. There's gonna, they're going to move to it. That predator doesn't, he doesn't care when that feeder goes off. No. Although I have seen coyotes come to corn, you know, when they get real hungry. But they're more, they feed more, I think, by the cylinder tables yeah. at active times. And uh, I've seen correlations, direct correlations. And, and uh, I also think they respond more aggressively during those active feed That's, times. I, I remember you telling me that years ago when you started paying attention to that. You says, you know, it looks like they're coming during those time frames, but when they do, they come, they come hard. harder. I yeah, mean, it's like, more, okay, like Mother said. Nature tells them it's time well, to feed. But again, like, like bass... They're doing what their prey is doing, so yep. it's it's about what the rabbits are doing, yeah. what the birds are yeah. doing, and what the other yeah. animals are doing. So, I, you know, they're going to be active in those same periods. Yeah, I, I used that back at home. My granddad years ago told me to just pay attention to the cows. If the cows are up feeding, yeah. <laughs> pretty good chance they're they're going to be up mm-hmm. feeding. You know, kind of thing. I've always but, heard uh, that. Yeah. We look at armadillos. I mean, if armadillos are up moving during the middle of the day, if you got armadillos, our squirrels are out feeding. You know, you need to be in the. You need to be out there in the dead gum deer yeah. woods. And even hawks. You watch yeah. raptors. Yeah. You know they're out. They're out flying in those active exactly. feeding times. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, when they're sitting on the limb, there's not much going you on. Know, and I, I, you can't came back to talking about the programming thing. I think if you remove the fact that we ate breakfast in the morning, we ate lunch at noon, we ate dinner or supper, whatever you want to call it, at night, if you just remove that, I got a feeling the human being is the same way that you think. Because I've caught myself at times being ravenously hungry. You know, and then I look at the dead gum activity chart and it's a big feed time. You know, and I may have eaten a little while ago, or I, I may not have eaten all day long, but all of a sudden there's this urge to. You know, I can't, you know, I got to get something to eat kind of thing. So, but with us, we, we programmed ourselves so much, to, you know, to eat at those times. It, it's just gotten, we've kind of gotten away from it. Yeah. Now, I do think that weather will override that, Yeah. you know, because obviously, obvious reasons. You know, if it's 100 degrees and it's supposed to be active, it's not going to be that active, you know. Well, and then it, if, it still could be active, but just not yeah. that active. You know, yeah, just, I think. Like it, and then just, when the wind's if it's blowing 30 so miles an hour, yeah. you know, I think the predator, you know, everything's moving. He's nervous. He loses, coyotes lose their sense of smell somewhat, and that's what they live and die by. So they're nervous about coming to a call if they can't smell. Sense of smell isn't, you know, able to pick up scent as well. So, I, you know. Uh, it can override it. But the main thing I look at is, you know, if I'm in good country and I'm going to be calling all day, I don't, you know, I don't want to quit. And I especially I'm not going to be sitting in the Dairy Queen if it's, if it says active feeding time is at noon. <laughs> I'm going to be out there. I'll, I'll put I'll, that hunger aside. Yeah, we'll keep hunting yeah. and then we'll take a snack and hunt yeah. before or after. But it just says I want, you know, you know, if the conditions are right, I want to be out there when, when it, says they're going to be moving. Well, you, you take like a, a big cold front coming in. I can tell you when a big cold front seeks to come in up here, every deer in the country, every hog, every coyote, you're going to see them moving, mm-hmm. and they're going to move hard, and they're going to move all day long. Yep, try to and get something in their belly. Going to, they're going to get that last meal, and when that cold front hits, especially if they know it's going to be a big one, 
they get enough protein and enough nutrition in them that they're going to lay down for as long as they can before they get out of that warm bed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. That, that's kind of a key to me. So that's when you can throw those charts out of yeah, the Yeah, you're right. Yeah, oh, that's where. And I mean, now if there's just a dog that's starving, they're going to be up hunting 24 hours a day. It's just like in your pastures with your cattle. When you look at your cattle, if you go to a pasture and a cow stand up 24 hours a day and they're working, they're hungry. Oh, yeah. There, there's nothing to eat in yeah. those pastures. If you go by and you see cows during the middle of the day, even though it's beautiful outside, there's no wind, but that cow's laid up underneath the tree and sitting there chewing its cud, they're full, they're content, and everything's happy. So, I mean, everything has yeah. its Food, its availability, water, water availability, it's weather all, it conditions. All works you know, it all works together, but that will trump is what we're talking about you yeah. know, here with that activity chart. Mm-hmm. In a, to me, in a utopian world where there's plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of cover, everything, you know, is in great shape. Those deer that I've seen in those situations, more deer, because that's what I've dealt with more, they move very close to those charts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for that particular area. But you're right. I mean, if the, the rut's going on, they may be chasing like crazy, but if they're hungry, and they're not a whole lot of feed. They just got to spend more time out eating. You know, they may be more active during that little right. period of activity right. time. But uh, but it's interesting how, how how all this works together. And it's interesting that you know to me the predators. You talking about fish, and you know you, the rest. You talking primarily about coyotes and bobcats. How that does work. Yeah, and it, it, and you know all these things we've talked about. It's. It's not black magic. This is all common sense. It's, it's, it is. Just like, you know, Craig talking about the cows, you know, yeah. and you and the armadillos. I mean, that's, you know, the Joe Blow that comes through this country the first time he's not, you know, raised out here, that kind of goes over his head. He doesn't notice that. No. But those of us that make a living out here, you you pick up on little things like that. You mean that yeah. brown cow doesn't have chocolate milk? Yeah, <laughs> something well, like that. If, yeah. if you're a hunter, <laughs> if you're a hunter and you're not looking around at the birds and the plants and what everything is doing around you all the time, you can learn so much by just looking at the details of your environment. Yeah, yeah. whether you're a turkey hunter or a deer hunter or a coyote or whatever it is, you need to be looking. Or a fisherman. I mean, I, I yeah. do a little bit of tournament fishing, and I've right. fished all my life, and I'm always looking at what everything's doing right now mm-hmm. and, and taking advantage of that. And you've got to take every advantage you can when you're a hunter. It's like you were saying earlier. You don't give a coyote. Any chances to, I to, try to win? And if you do, he's going to beat you. Like yeah. that's what he—that's where he makes his living. So you—you uh, you better be paying attention to every little detail around you all the time. And if you start overlooking that, you're—you're you're losing. Well, since we're talking about hunting and, and really how important hunting really is when it comes to wildlife conservation, let's get a few words from Corey Mason or somebody over at DSC. talk a little bit about engaging and getting some of our members and even the, the outdoorsmen or the people that love wildlife that have some understanding about what it really yeah. should be like, how can they become a little bit more engaged? Yeah, but, you know, we get that question a lot. Someone that's hunted for decades many times, but yet they feel uncomfortable and willing to have a conversation with someone or to be able to defend sustainable use and hunting specifically. And so, you know, one of the things that we try to do is we try to provide information that not only informs those outside of our community proper, but also provides information so people can use those as talking points. If they're talking on the elevator to a colleague or someone in a casual conversation at a soccer game or wherever else it might be in life, 
or they bump into someone and they want to have those conversations. And so one of the resources where we've spent a tremendous amount of time is on the DSC website. That's at biggame.org. You can go there. You can find a lot of our resources. You can find a lot of our articles. Um, but we have more and more current postings on our website, excuse me, on our Facebook page. Like we're posting these these uh, more recent uh, videos associated with conservation projects around the world and really the truth in the conservation through hunting model. Uh, the last several that we've put out there have been extremely well received. They've made a lap around the world uh, from Europe to South America to all over North America. And so, again, it's used as an educational source for those that, that are looking for points to be able to speak to as well as those that maybe want to provide something on, pass it on to someone that maybe is a not an anti-hunter but a non-hunter, you know, looking for information to talk about some of these things associated with, you know, what what role does conservation through hunting play in North America, in British Columbia? What role does it play in Africa? What is the importance of the voice of the rural African in managing these species? Or what are really the struggles? For example, one of the recent issues that we've really focused on, in fact, over this last weekend, I spent time in it on Saturday trying to provide some factual points associated with the importance of Namibia's Black Rhino Management Program and the successes from it that are unprecedented. It's one of the greatest conservation success stories in North America. Number one, to applaud the Namibian Ministry of Environment and Tourism, but secondly, to understand that a component of it, not entirely, but the component of it is the revenue that is realized from the hunting of select post-reproductive males. And then those revenues are used to fund the existence of the entire program. And in a very short time period, the black rhino population in Namibia has doubled. And so there's some very measurable, demonstrated successes that can be really clearly shown as those examples for someone that wants those tools to engage. Again, just, just really look at the DSC resources. Clearly, there's the print materials we send out to the members as a benefit of membership. But look at our website. Look at our social media sites. There's lots there. And please contact us if there's things that people would like to see develop that are needed as a resource. Thank you very much. You know, if you're not a member of Dallas Safari Club or DSC, you, you need to be, and you need to go to www.biggame.org, biggame.org. You can learn everything you would ever want to know about DSC, and and uh, I think there's even a place there where you can become a member. So if you're not a member, we really need you there. We, we were talking earlier about about. Uh, predator hunting a little bit about other hunting well and, and actually you know we're talking about fishing as well too but uh gary if you were going to give somebody a, a, one bit of advice about predator hunting what would that advice be or is there is there one simple thing that you can say about that oh gosh uh i i, I think the probably the one common den- denominator that all really good predator callers or especially coyote callers have is that they have so much respect for that coyote uh, and to the point where it's almost a love for him but you, no one wants to shoot one more than I do Yes, but if you don't respect him to the utmost degree you're never going to be really good at this game and uh, I get a kick out of, you know, listening to some of the young guys and, you know, no knock on the night hunters because there's a, you know, in Texas it's legal and you can call after dark. Right. But, you know, if you're just hunting at night, you don't 
you don't need all the woodsman skills in the world. You need to be able to pick locations, kind of watch your wind. And if you can climb in a high rack, you can be successful, you know. Uh, but to get out on the ground in the daylight with him and beat him in his bedroom or his living room uh, consistently, uh, it's a challenge. And then, of course, I love calling turkey, and I know Eddie does. And I always used to kind of snicker at Bruce Brady, my old calling buddy from oh, Mississippi, yes. and Bruce said, "You know, if these if these turkeys could only smell, we'd never kill one." He was he is right. And he was right, but I got to always reminded him, "Yeah, but that coyote sense of smell is way better. He's way smarter than a turkey." And he was the ultimate. Good point to call up. Good point. You know. And uh, and the coyote is such an athlete. Yes, you know. And adaptable. And adaptable. Adaptable to living in urban situations, to suburban situations, to wilderness situations. I I was laughing this week. uh, Linda Black, one of the gals that works for us, of course, her husband was the game warden in Menard County for years, and you know Scott. I know Scott, yes, sir. Uh, One of their uh, daughters lives in uh, Frisco there north of Dallas, and they have one of these ring doorbells with the video uh, the camera right. well there's a uh, uh, I think she said a house cat is sitting right out there on the sidewalk in front of the camera all of a sudden here is a coyote in, <laughs> on the camera and they're in they're in the city and of course they it didn't make the catch on the on the camera but it went off you know to the right I think she said <laughs> so it wasn't in frame but I guarantee you that coyote caught that cat. Oh, that yeah. house undoubtedly, yes. Yeah, they they live in those, so they're so adaptable. Yeah, they're they're an amazing animal in, in so many different ways. Steve, you'd follow your dad a lot of different places. I mean, same question to you. I mean, you've watched him perform, and you've watched a lot of other people out there. What advice would you give somebody that's maybe even just thinking about getting into hunting predators or? Uh, is there any particular advice that you can think of, a small or large, either way? Gosh, um, like Dad always says, you know, when you're setting up a stand, know what you're calling, create a natural funnel coming to you where it's a path of least resistance and play gunfighter rules. You know, um, wind in your face, sun at your back, so you can hide a little bit better and, you know, so that nose doesn't beat you so easily because it will. Yeah. You can use there, it like nobody else. Is- it's Incredible. phenomenal. I mean, I mean, we use some really good products, the Texas Raised Hunting products, and some of the the, 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 the whatever that horrible smelling stuff is that they I got, produce. I got some right here. Predator Death Grip. Predator <laughs> Death Grip. Yeah. And you you mentioned that you know it's given you a, a second or two on some yeah. of those animals that you felt like you might not have gotten otherwise. You know, if in in all of you guys that that hunt and call it. You know, there's always, I think, that moment of truth when you can kill that animal. And then if you let that pass, then it gets tough to it's kill it. Iffy. I don't care if it's calling a turkey, rattling a whitetail, or right. calling a coyote. Like I say, there's always the moment of truth. And if you don't, if, I think that's one of the the secrets of being a good coyote caller is knowing when that's about to happen and to be ready to take advantage of it. Because like I say, if, if that moment passes... That chances are he something is going to come unwound. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, that that is what I have found 
That's why we were using it yesterday. Right. I was misting a little around the call because, let's face it, not only are we producing the stink up here where we are, when I walk that call out there and set it down, I'm laying a scent trail, and that, and that call has my stink on it. So I was yeah. misting around the call so that it would kind of confuse that coyote. If it buys me a second, extends that period, mm-hmm. that moment of truth for another second or two, that may be the difference of me killing that coyote and not killing him. Because that's a long time, that second or two. That seconds. second is a lifetime. Yep. Literally. Right. You know, that's it a is. lifetime for that coyote and, you know, kind of thing. So you're right. Interesting. What What about you, Craig? When you get hunters, you've had hunters out here through hard growth hunts. And what advice do you give the hunters when they get here? When it come, Whether they're coming to hunt hogs that you've got or, I mean, even with quail hunting or deer hunting. and Any one bit of advice that you give those guys? Man, I'll tell you what, Everybody's got their own quirks. Oh yeah. When they show up, and a lot of times, you know, our biggest deal, and we were discussing that this morning, driving around as well, is, you know, trying to get people as as close to those places that they hunt, so you're not spreading all that scent around, mm-hmm. is one of the things. Uh, another one of the things for us is using the same vehicles. We're not Polaris is. They're great. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I love them. And Polaris is just a name. Right. But any of the wheelers. But if you don't use them every day in those pastures and you start running around out there, you the, the animals are smart. They know. And especially after one round of everybody going out and pulling the trigger one time, you've just trained every animal in that, on that ranch in that area. That, hey, that's a bad, oh, bad sign. Yeah, when they show up, yeah. we leave or we lay down. I have actually hunted through other hunters before, depending on where I was. Um, you know, I grew up in the southeast, and we had a ton of deer hunters and a lot of pressure on, on the game. And I remember specifically making game plans to my neighbor is going to be out there you know, 6 a.m., and he's going to fire up that four-wheeler, and I know he's going to go down this road. Mm-hmm. He's going to cut through this swamp. Right. Well, I'm going to be up in a tree when he's flushing stuff <laughs> out. Exactly. Yeah. And it yeah. worked more times than sure. not. Yeah. And, and those animals, they're not – sometimes they'll just lay there and let you go by, but they're going to do one of two things. Either they're not going to move at all, or they're going to react to whatever's going on around them and get out of dodge. And well, I have, I've killed a lot of deer – patterning other hunters and right and well, everybody can, needs to pay attention you to can that. take that same aspect here you know the hunters go out in their polaris and they all run around and nine times out of ten your everyday hunter gets up late because they stayed up drinking the night before <laughs> and then they're hauling tail to their deer blinds and they're in a razor, there's something that just won. Everybody's just, I mean, it's comical yeah. to look at all the lights it, going over these places. Is. And it then is. they come in and 9 a.m., they're going to get out of their deer blind. <laughs> and some of them 8.30, but 9 a.m., they're out of their deer blind. Everybody comes back in. They're all going to go back to the camp and have breakfast. I can take a ranch pickup. And I can drive through that same pasture they came in, and every deer in the country is going to be standing up there and getting their bites to eat because they know they're going to be coming back in just a little bit. <laughs> and, then the and, and the hunters are going to go out in the middle of the day because they are city people that don't have time to put in the, 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 the work that it takes. So they're going to go out in the middle of the day, and they're going to go check every feeder. They're going to put scent everywhere they go. And then they're going to come back in. They're going to grab a bite to eat, and then by... 
3 o'clock, everybody's headed back out again, and they're taking their Polaris right back out, and they're just tearing up the woods, getting back out there again, because they only know they got an hour and a half left to get in the blind and get it done. And nine times out of ten, if you don't stop them, they're going to take and they're going to wipe out your two-and-a-half and three-and-a-half-year-old deer age Because those are the deer they're going to see. Those, those deer are not as smart as yeah, the older ones that they need deer, to be seeing. And they've got a totally of. different and it is. way and, of doing and I, mean, I think it works the same with predators. I think it works the same with turkeys. I don't, and it doesn't matter what you're hunting, but your people that you're hunting around, they're, yeah. they're – and I'm not saying – I mean, hunters are great. I love hunters all the way through. I mean, there's good and bad with everything we do. But, you know, it, to, to take a ranch like this and to have success, um, your everyday people that you lease to are detrimental to, to your herd. I mean, you've got you to gotta really take back and, and sit back and, and decide on where you want to take your hunts. What, what kind of animals do you want to raise? And I think there again, I mean, that's why every hunter that comes out here I tell them, you know, if a coyote or a bobcat walks out in front of you, you want to take it, feel free. Because all that does is help us in the long run. I mean, yeah. and, and it's all all in that, that aspect. I agree. Eddie, you've hunted a lot of different places. We were talking earlier today, sitting in the back of the vehicle, just driving around talking about hunting in Greece. And, and I know you've been to Africa and you've been a bunch of other places. It, it, like it's somebody that's either uh, relatively young as far as hunting is concerned, it doesn't make a bit of difference whether they're talking about young age or they're starting to hunt when they're in their 60s or 70s. What kind of advice can you think of? I mean, we've talked about predators and we've talked about deer. What, kind of, what, what advice would you give somebody that's getting started into hunting and really has tried it and they go, oh, my God, this is something I want to do the rest of my life? I, I would say... Preparation, attention to detail is the most important. Get the best equipment you can afford because it's not going to let you down. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm a product guy. I've been in, the industry, yeah. been in the industry since 1995 and even before then in retail through college. And, right. Um, and I, you know, growing up, like most people, you don't have a lot of money and, and you aspire to move to the next thing and to the next thing. You don't have to have a million-dollar rifle and a million-dollar scope to be a successful hunter, but you want to get the best quality you can for the best accuracy, for the, the best glass you can afford, because you want to be able to make that one-second shot when you have to at that very, you know, that golden five minutes in the evening when when animals are moving and you've got a shot right there. You don't want to have subpar equipment. And, uh, no. and like I said, you don't have to spend a fortune to get no, that, no. but you want to make sure you do that, and you, may, you want to make sure you're proficient with your gun and ammunition. I, I can't imagine how many times you see people that just get started, they, they go out and buy, and I used to do it. I used to be on the other side of the counter. I outfitted thousands of people with guns and ammunition and optics, and, and they would come back and tell me that you know they missed or whatever. Well, they they fail to fine-tune, you know, I would bore sight it and they'd shoot one round and if it right. if it hit the pie plate then they're good to go, you know. Yeah. And and one, yeah. they wonder why they missed it two hundred yards, right. you know, when they had a shot. But um I, I would just say, you know, pay very close attention to your equipment, make sure that it's second nature to you and then when you're out in the in the in the woods and you're whatever whether you're turkey hunting or, or deer or predator or whatever Pay attention to everything that's going on around you, and the, 
those animals are going to tell you, you know, what you should be doing. And, and to, and to watch an animal, like Gary was saying, like reading a coyote, um, I love to turkey hunt because I like to read what that gobbler's doing. And yes, I, sir. And, and just to be able, or deer or whatever. Yeah, you, right. you, I become so relaxed when I'm around deer, even bow hunting, because I can tell what they're doing just by looking at how their body language is. And, you know, is it more than one? And how many times, Larry, have you sat there and you're looking at a deer and all of a sudden he turns and looks over his shoulder and then he, you know, he takes a half a second to... He's looking at something. He's thinking. Exactly. You a whole lot of people see that. And they don't. Forward. They don't understand. No, no. Well, there's a reason he's there's looking reason over there. There's something You know, and it might be a big buck. It might be a coyote coming. It might be you know all sorts of things. But just paying attention to your surroundings and uh, attention to detail. Yeah, my my dad used to put me on a deer stand. He said, "The sun stay awake." Well, he knew he wasn't going to go to sleep, but that was his <laughs> way of saying, you know, pay attention to what's going on well, around you. And something else, um, you know, I, I grew up small game hunting before i ever started me too big game and, you know here, before but... i ever made it on safari yeah i was shooting rabbits and squirrels you me know too. back in the carolinas and and well, i think Texas. that teaches you to absolutely pay attention to what's going on around yes. you um, uh, some of the best hunters i know were started off squirrel as squirrel hunters you know or, or some sort of small game or or something like that and it, it just teaches you how to how to walk in the woods how to read the woods how to React around animals, how to not move when you don't have to move or be seen when you need to be exactly, seen. Exactly, yeah. And, and I uh, mean, I, t- to me, we, we've kind of lost touch. A lot of times people think in terms of hunting, they think primarily in terms of, thankfully, you know, predator hunting, but also primarily like white-tailed deer. But, I mean, as you said, all of us around this room probably right here started off shooting squirrels and rabbits, and before we did anything else, our hunting with squirrels and rabbits. So, I mean, it's one of those things that I think we need to become... You know, kind of go back to basics sometimes. I'm, I'm one of those that don't ever forget, you know, where you came from or who brought you there. But uh, and with me, that's kind of how it started. It was with hunting squirrels and hunting rabbits. Yeah, I wanted to go to Africa many years. I wanted to hunt white-tailed deer, and I hunted white-tailed deer. We didn't have any there to speak of. So, but we learned how to hunt, and I think that, that's so very important. And there, there's so many opportunities out there these days for that small game hunting. And, and I know you mentioned product, you know, that I'll brag on Trigicon because I know you shoot Trigicon, but you shoot Trigicon anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, as oh, far yeah. as scopes, and, and Gary and I have, that's what we have on our rifles. Or, and I've got the other sights on my handguns, and I think maybe you guys do as well, too. And then I know Gary and I both shoot Hornady ammo and, and, and Ruger firearms. And, and to me, those the, the, the best products that I can think of. Then that comes from many years of, of trying a whole lot of other things Absolutely. as well, too. That's the reason I've got Trigicon on my rifles and she did Hornady ammo and, and shooting Ruger rifles and handguns. They're, they are a client of mine, but I would tell you, besides being just a wonderful group of people and Which a wonderful they are. company, an American, yes. you know, God-fearing, wonderful company, they make great products, and they will not bend you know, if they if they can't make something that's quality, that's you're going to get every bit of you know the money you spend, you're going to get back out of that option. Yeah, you're going to get more quality. They're than not what you're paying for. It. They're not going to make it if they can't put something out there that's 100 percent quality. That's right. This year alone, they launched four brand new scope lines. 
Yeah. But the, and they they have waited and they've strategically done this because they did not want to do it until they could have exactly what they needed to put out there that was high quality that you know was affordable or or within certain markets and uh, they put a ton of research into it. And I want to come back with you on another podcast and just talk about some of those particular sure. products. One, there there's several of them out there, but uh, the Huron scope, which was kind of designed primarily for the whitetail deer hunter, yep. but has greater Uses beyond oh, yeah. that, that oh, yeah. uh, the, the new line that they have, and I want to come back and address that one and some of the others. But uh, I'm looking outside; it doesn't look like the wind's blowing quite as hard out there. So I think we might need to uh, to, to see what we can call up out there. And appreciate everybody joining us this morning, and hope that you'll be back with us next week right here on DSC's Untamed Heritage. DSC's Untamed Heritage is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club conservation education protecting hunters rights ruger rugged reliable firearms hornady accurate deadly dependable trigicon brilliant aiming solutions vernon brothers game calls calmness calls made texas wildlife association working for tomorrow's wildlife today texas raised hunting products the scent gods www.trailingthehuntersmoon.com the hunter conservations website 